Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Giving Tuesday. Good morning on this November the 30th, 2021. We have uh, done Thanksgiving. We've done Black Friday. We've done Cyber Monday. We've done the first Sunday of Advent. We've done the beginning of Hanukkah. I mean, that's a lot since last Thursday. All right. It is Giving Tuesday in case you have lost track of where we are in the cycle of things. Um, Tomorrow, we are going to launch into our reading through the Gospel of Luke during the month of December. And so if you have not yet signed up for that, please do. Please do. My family actually, because we have one kind of slow reader, um, we actually started last night. What a delight. Um, And so let me just go ahead and invite you, if you have not already signed up to participate with us in reading through the Gospel of Luke, please do that. Um, And while you're there, go ahead and take the opportunity to give on this Giving Tuesday at MyFaithRadio.com. So it's that simple. If you've got your phone and you'd rather text us, just text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. It's Giving Tuesday. You pretty much know how it works. Um, charities across the country and around the world use this day as an opportunity to encourage and inspire uh, folks to help us not only end the year well, but um, strive into the new year with, with health. And so there you go. It's Giving Tuesday. Text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. All right. Um, a fictional mother. So just just track with me here for just a second. Do you remember the Jetsons? I know that Paul Perot remembers the Jetsons. Remember the Jetsons? A fictional mother of a fictional character, George Jetson. So the fictional mother would be about one month pregnant right now. Am I... Am I tracking correctly, Paul? Because well, in Wikipedia, the, it says... Yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen dates of George Jetson's birth mm-hmm. being anywhere from July 31st to August 27th of 2022. The summer of 2022 mm-hmm. is when the fictitious George Jetson will be born. So, yeah, mm-hmm. his mom is probably pregnant right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So somewhere between July 31st and August 27th, the fictional George Judson is going to be born to his fictional animated mother. And by the time he reaches adulthood, the world will be a very different place from the one we live in today, which means that, right, we're like one fictional lifetime away from flying cars. I don't think we're a fictional lifetime away from flying cars. All right. So are you tracking with me, George Judson of the flying cars? Smart homes, robotic dogs. Remember them? Doesn't it seem strange to ask if you remember something that hasn't happened yet? Mm -hmm. So the reason that I bring this up today is because an expectant mom is right at the center of our conversations. So an expectant mom named Mary and another expectant mom named Elizabeth are the key features, uh, the key characters, excuse me, in 
um, in this feature story of the coming of the Christ child. So during the season of Advent, which started on Sunday, um, we here at Faith Radio are going to be reading the Gospel of Luke. Technically, we start tomorrow because it's got 24 chapters, and we thought it'd be fun to start on December the 1st and read together through December the 24th. And so um, Luke 1 is where we read about the angel Gabriel, the one who stands in the very presence of God, which if you haven't thought about that recently, just give that um, a, a moment's thought. Um, he went first to Elizabeth and then to Mary, and we're going to read about all of that in Luke chapter 1. I wanted to highlight this morning the expectation. So what are you expecting? Who are you expecting? Are you longing? Are you longing to receive the long-expected one. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. We'll be right back. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is with us this morning on this Giving Tuesday. Mark, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing today? I, uh, well, uh, I've been up most of the night praying with a friend um, on a particular concern and issue, so I'm a little weary, but I'm also um, encouraged, and I feel very, very blessed. feel very blessed. How about you? I'm uh, doing well. Doing well. We're just starting to wrap up the semester here at Cedarville, and uh one week of classes, then final exams, and then a good long winter break that I think we all probably need. Will there be a good long winter nap during the good long winter break? <laughs> there will be many long winter naps. I can promise I you that. that. Yes. I love that. All right. So I was fascinated by this um, research from Pew. So I am reading a headline here that's uh, about a week old now from Pew Research Center. Few Americans blame God or say faith has been shaken amidst the pandemic um, or other tragedies. So the the subhead, most U.S. adults say that bad things just happen and people are often the reason, right? This is pretty good theology for a country that often seems so lost. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, it's an interesting study uh, because, like you said, most of the answers that we get from this really seem to affirm uh, pretty good orthodox belief and and God and God's role in the universe and how we cope with things like evil and the existence of evil. And, uh, you know, being a human is always wrestling with these kinds of questions. Why do we have, why do bad things happen? How do we reconcile that with the existence of a good and loving God? Uh, but if these poll results are to be believed, and I suppose they are, uh, most people are coming down in a pretty good place. You know, they're saying that uh, things just, bad things just happen. They don't blame God for it. Uh, they think most, and this is huge majorities, think that most suffering is due to individual decisions that people make. Sometimes it's just their own actions that lead to uh, bad outcomes. Still, there are people saying things like a society is structured in a way that causes suffering 
Um, and so there's a little bit of tension at work there. But I think even in what you said in just a moment, how does this fit with our society as a whole? You know, if this is the way that we really think and we're that reflective about God and uh, and his role in our lives and our future. You don't see this really filtering out into the world a whole lot, at least as much as I might like. Um, you know, if 73% of adults, according to this survey, believe in heaven, um, I'm not sure 73% of us live as if there is a heaven, for example. Um, it's just a really interesting thing to think through, how this is reflected or not so much reflected in our society at the given moment we have. All right, another piece of this that um, I found um, maybe troubling, although I know it's, you, it's hard to, I think parse statistics because you don't really know how everybody interpreted the question when they were asked. So if I'll just ask you the question, if you were asked the question about Satan's responsibility for suffering, um, you know, where would you be on on that question? Well, if if we take uh, the Bible seriously, and I certainly do, um, and if we think of a book like Job, where Satan plays an active role in causing the suffering of a of a particular human being, um, that I don't think it's necessarily wrong to think of Satan as playing a role in that process. Um, but what Satan is doing, of course, is still somehow working in conjunction with God's o- overall plan for the universe. Um, and even what Satan tries to twist toward evil, we know that God will work toward good and toward his own glory in the end. And even in a situation like Job's, uh, the end result is that God is glorified, even though Job has to go through trials and tribulations uh, to recognize that. And so I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say that Satan plays a role in that process, but how you think through it and how you then connect that to God and his sovereignty is, is a much more complicated question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So if you're listening right now and you sort of want to know where you track on some of those questions, and uh, this is really good conversational fodder, you can find what we're talking about at pewforum.org. You're looking for a November the 23rd headline, few Americans blame God or say faith has been shaken amidst the pandemic or other tragedies. It's really an interesting look. Um, it's a great way, I think, to enter into conversations, not only about what, you know, do we believe that God is sovereign, but how do we believe that God is acting in the context of human history right now? What's, what is our role and responsibility as individuals? Um, and frankly, you know, Where's Satan in all of that? How powerful is he in terms of what's going on? All right, really interesting um, conversations to have there. Mark Caleb Smith and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith dreams of a white Christmas far less than I do because he lives in white Christmas territory. Mm -hmm. I like a white Christmas. Mm-hmm. I like a white Christmas, too. I don't. Uh, yeah, I know that people, um, many, many people listening right now are going to be very blessed with a white Christmas and many of the rest of us will just be jealous. Yeah, that's pretty much how that goes on Christmas morning. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's talk about um, obstacles that President Biden is now facing. Let's talk about why things that are going on in Washington matter or maybe don't matter. Um yeah, and then I definitely want to talk with you about what's going on at the Supreme Court and what you see in terms of the conservative legal movement um, and what's going on uh, with the potential outcome 
of um, of the Roe v. Wade challenge case there. So let's start with uh, the president. What's going on? So, I mean, President Biden uh, has clearly been struggling. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, his public his approval rating is down. Uh, recent USA Today poll has that down to 38 uh, percent of respondents approving of his job as president. Uh, and that same poll, uh, 46 percent of the people said he's done a worse job than expected as president, including 16 percent of the people who voted for him. And so it's not just a function of Republicans not liking Joe Biden right now. It's uh, as Americans, broadly speaking, aren't real thrilled with how this is unfolding. Uh, and it's easy to see why, right? We, we've talked about Afghanistan and his struggles there. Uh, right now, we have significant inflation to deal with. Uh, COVID seems to be increasing, uh, as kind of was expected, I suppose, during the winter months. <clears throat> when you think of Joe Biden's campaign for the presidency, uh, his basic pitch to voters was, vote for me. Uh, I'm not a drama candidate. I'm just going to be slow and steady. I'm going to be practical, make make good decisions, uh, be somewhat moderate compared to sort of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, and certainly not be like Trump. And so that's his basic pitch to voters. But I think many voters now are disappointed with the results. Um, and President Biden is floundering, uh, I think, as a result. The temptation, I think, is for us to even look too deeply into this probably and say, well, this means he's not going to win re-election. Uh, you know, his his term of office is already sunk, and uh, the Democrats are right to be thinking about how to replace him on the ticket, for example. But this is way too early for those kind of discussions, I think, honestly. Uh, 2024 is a long ways away. Uh, think of how much the world might change over the next three years. Uh, we don't know where COVID will be in three years, but it's, you know, I think good indications are that it will be way in our rearview mirror at that point. The economy, there's a good reason I think the economy will be improved and better. Uh, if we see inflation declining by then, employment picking up, then I think Joe Biden could be in really good position. Struggling, yes, um, right now, but uh, still a long way to go. You know, I think he has a chance to uh, correct the ship, so to speak, but he's got some work to do. And, uh, and I think it's just easy for us to get caught up in the narrative. And right now, the narrative around Biden is, is pretty bad, admittedly. Yeah. Um, another uh, negative um, news story, in my view, um, what in the world is going on in terms of the language um, and treatment of members of Congress toward one another? I have uh, I have uh, Representative Boebert in view here. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, it's uh, if, if you're paying attention to the news, it feels like an all time low at some level uh, with members of Congress in constant conflict with each other. Uh, you know, you're talking about uh, Bobert from Colorado. She's been in a in a public spat with Ilan Omar, uh, the Democratic member from Minnesota. And Bobert told an anecdote um, that got recorded, and the anecdote suggested that there were concerns that Omar might be a terrorist and carrying a backpack that could be used for terrorist purposes. And uh, that made a lot of waves on social media. Omar demanded an apology. She demanded that Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, do something about Boebert and her and her actions. Um, so far, that's all sort of hanging out there. But it does feel like we're sort of at a very low point uh, when you think of how those members of Congress interact with each other. I think the reason that it's so bad is that they basically can use each other uh, to increase their profile. And so if, if for Boebert to be in a spat with Ilan Omar, uh, for her, that's really good. She can raise money off of this. 
She can increase her social media profile and she can simply use it to enhance her power. Omar can do the same thing uh, throughout mm -hmm. this process. And so, you know, this goes both ways. I'm sure there is a good amount of outrage and it's probably justified to some extent. Uh, but they're both using each other to achieve their own their own political goals. Social media makes that possible. Uh, and it's a very powerful incentive, I think, for members to engage in this kind of behavior. Uh, critics, I think, rightly say right now Congress really feels like more of a performance than it feels like a legislative body. You know, members just simply performing and, and getting uh, getting what they can out of the process as opposed to really tackling the nation's problems. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Um, all right, we probably have time to talk about one more headline. Let's um, let's talk about the success of the conservative legal movement and what's going on right now at the Supreme Court. Yeah, so the Supreme Court uh, tomorrow has oral arguments about uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. That's the Mississippi case dealing with abortion. And this is a huge moment, I think, for conservatives in general and for the conservative legal movement in particular, you know, if we trace this back to several decades, uh, really starting in the 1980s, in terms of popular culture, there's this movement to sort of reclaim the Constitution and to argue for a traditional understanding of the Constitution. And I think that was largely born out of opposition to Roe versus Wade. Um, and the Republican Party has built itself around opposing Roe versus Wade. Um, Arguments about how we should think about government and judicial power stem from Roe versus Wade. And so it was a seismic moment on the conservative uh, legal side when Roe happened. And the response to Roe has been historic and remarkable. Um, but all that, I think, will be for naught to some extent if Roe just continues to stand. Uh, there's going to be a lot of discouragement on the conservative side of the aisle if, if Roe is upheld and this court, which seems to be stacked and seems to be selected in order to overturn something like Roe v. Wade, if that doesn't happen, uh, there's going to be an awful lot of uh, introspection and consideration among conservatives about what, what needs to happen in order for this goal to be achieved. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of pressure on, on this oral argument starting tomorrow and, of course, the court uh, coming forward with a decision uh, probably in, in early June. Yeah, a huge moment tomorrow and I think a huge moment in a few months from now. So, um, do you, uh, this is a kind of a personal question, but I mean, do you, do you pray when these kinds of things are taking place? Um, I do. I pray for the justices. I, you know, I pray for God's will to be done. I, I pray for things to happen that might surprise people. I mean, are, are there, I mean, I know other people pray for specific outcomes and I understand that as well. Um, how about you? Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely pray for these sorts of situations, um, and I do pray for specific outcomes when I feel like there's a clear, obvious, just outcome uh, that I really hope God will bring about. Uh, but I also pray for, you know, for the good of the whole, for the good of the country and for the good of our culture. And sometimes I know those aren't connected to those outcomes. And so, you know, I pray for God's will to be done, uh, for wisdom to be given to these people who are making really difficult decisions and for really for God's grace and peace to be upon them as they go about uh, a really difficult uh, point in their lives and a lot of thinking on their part about what to do and what not to do it confronted with something historic like Roe v. Wade. But no, I think praying is perfectly appropriate. Uh, but then at the end of it, of course, uh, leaving it in God's hands and, and working through the results is just as important. All right, Mark, um, as always, um, thank you so much. This is Giving Tuesday. Um, what motivates you to give? 
I mean, it's who I am as a believer. I mean, I, so much has been given to me. Um, so much of it is undeserved. And uh, it's not because of my actions, because of my goodness that God has given me things and mostly has given me the grace that I need to uh, to continue on, uh, but also, of course, the grace to be saved. And so that, that informs how I see the rest of the world, uh, not only my role and my job and my family, uh, but certainly those who struggle and those who suffer and those who need uh, giving in order in order to continue on physically. And so, you know, I'm, I'm motivated to give because of what's been given to me, uh, even above and beyond what I would ever deserve. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your time. Thank you for the gift um, that you share with us on a regular basis in terms of the time you spend uh, here with us on, on the program. So we're thankful for you in this season of Thanksgiving and look forward with you to the advent of our Christ. Thanks, Carmen, to you and all your listeners. Uh, happy holiday season and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. So, what do you want to see change in the world? I mean, do you want to see things change? What things? Do you want things to go back to the way they were when you, some, you know, sort of relative point in time? Um, do you not like the changes that are taking place? Um, which changes do you not like? What do you want to change? How do you want to impress the full force of your life into positive change, into the advance of the gospel? I mean, if you could help change the world, would you? Or frankly, do you just like to complain? It's a good reflective moment for us to take today on a day that we can help change the world if we want to. So if you want to join us in extending the gospel to more and more people and equipping the saints for the work of ministry, that's really what we're doing here at Faith Radio. We'd love for you to participate with us. It is Giving Tuesday. You just text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or online at MyFaithRadio.com. When we come back, I am going to um, ask you to consider whether or not the biblical view of male-female creation and the biblical view of sexuality between one man and one woman in the context of marriage for a lifetime um, is criminal. Is that criminal? We're going to talk about that next. We'll be right back. Recently, while on a speaking engagement, one father asked me the question, how do I ensure that my children know that I listen to them? Good question. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your teenagers are talking about their concerns, stop what you're doing and listen. When you pay attention with your eyes and make time where nothing else is happening, it shows you care about them. You were listening. I'd also suggest that moms and dads ask follow-up questions, letting your teen know that you are paying attention and you want to know more. Think about how you know someone is listening to you. Then translate that to your teen. It's one of the best ways to build your relationship. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to ParentingTodaysTeens.org. That's ParentingTodaysTeens.org.
Mr. Grinch, you really are a hero. All right, that is one of my favorite movies. Paul, when you think about um, Christmas movies, do you have favorites? Grinch, the Grinch is definitely one of them. Uh, I like Grinch the, is great. The, Rudolph, I love. The animated one. Like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I did mm-hmm. like when they did the, the second redo of The Grinch with uh, uh, Cumberbatch playing the voice of the Grinch. And that was actually pretty good. And I love the fact they put in Christmas, you know, sa- uh, sacred Christmas carols into it. It was really good. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, nothing nothing compares with the 1966 cartoon version with Boris Karloff. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, that is, yeah, that is little Cindy Lou Who. Like, that's, that's she's like scorched in my mind like yeah. that. Like, that's what she looks like. And that little dog. That's Santa, why? Yeah. <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So how would you react if this is my uh, brace yourself headline today? <clears throat> how would you react if I told you that a pastor who published a 24 page booklet in 2004 written by a now sitting member of, of parliament who is a Christian and a woman um, not that those things are ne- necessarily matter a whole lot to the story, but they're part of the texture here. So a pastor published a 24-page booklet in 2004 written by a Christian who is now a sitting member of parliament outlining the biblical case for male-female creation, that people are made in the image of God, and the biblical case for male-female relationships, including marriage. What if I told you that those individuals are now being interrogated on criminal charges of ethnic agitation, which is a hate crime against LGBTQ people? Well, you would want to know where this is taking place and what kind of laws are on the books that um, would allow for such, right? All right. So uh, the location is Finland. And here's what's going on. So authorities assert that in this 2004 booklet, um, which is pretty innocuous, I got to tell you, it is entitled uh, Male and Female He Created Them, Homosexual Relationships Challenge the Christian Concept of Humanity, right? It is very uh, straightforward in its content. Um, talks about being created in the image of God, male and female, talks about the essence of marriage, talks about the breakdown of family values, um, the attitudes of of children uh, and the importance of early education, a conversation about whether or not people are born this way, which, by the way, the homosexual community has now said, you know, anyway, they've rejected some of these ideas themselves. Um, A right to love. Is there a right to love? Is there a freedom of the individual versus, um, you know, uh, things that in the culture we do together as a society. Um, And whether or not, there's a conversation in here about whether or not um, homosexuality should become sort of the the way of the land, right? Is it an issue of human rights? Um, There's a conversation in here about the adoption of children. And then there is um, this conversation about how Christians can engage in the cultural conversation of their day by influencing uh, influence the laws of their land. Like, that's how democracy works, by the way. That That's actually how it works, and it's functional. Um, and in Finland, 
what happened was we ended up with a law on the books that looks very similar to uh, the Equality Act, which, you know, continues its trek through the U.S. Congress, but has already become law in many um, cities and states across the country. So, you know, when I say this is going on in Finland, this is this is just not far from going on right here. And when I when I lift up to you that a pastor spent five hours being interrogated about this and that a member of parliament is very likely to lose her position, that they're being that they're they're being considered criminally uh, responsible for uh, I'm looking for the specific language here, inciting hatred. So I'm just going to read directly from the article. The pastor, Yuhana uh, Pojole, Pojole, dean of the Evangelical Lutheran Mission Diocese of Finland. So he's head of his denomination and head of his denomination's publishing house, which is the publishing house is the one that printed the booklet in, in 2004. All right. Um, So uh, he has taken public responsibility as the editor-in-chief. He says, I'm responsible for the publication and distribution of the booklet. He denied, however, being guilty of the crime of, quote, ethnic agitation. Here's what he said. In my view, the text is not defamatory or insulting to homosexuals. In my answers, I showed that the booklet teaches in line with Christian anthropology— that means the creation story, we are made in the image of God, that every person is precious, being created in the image of God regardless of, and you could fill in the blank there. He says regardless of sexual orientation, but you could literally say regardless of anything. They're all precious, every single one, precious, made in the image of God, beloved. He goes on to say, this does not mean, however, that people are not responsible before God for the way of life and their own moral choices. The homosexual lifestyle is contrary to God's order of creation and a transgression against his will. Now, that is a bold thing to say when you are being charged with a crime that makes that worldview criminal. So he goes on to say, if one is not allowed to teach this publicly, the message of sin and grace will be left without a foundation and freedom of religion will decline. So I want us to think about this for just a moment. What is being said by this pastor and this Christian member of parliament and in this published work? And what is being said by authorities and the law now on the books in Finland? And what does it say to us about living in a nation where we have already talked about the rule of law written laws. Do you actually know what the law says in your city or your state about whether or not you can say, you can repeat what the Bible says about male-female creation and God's ordering of human life and human families and human relationships and human sexuality? And if we are not allowed to say those things without being criminally charged, will we say them anyway? That's what this pastor in Finland is doing. So to be clear, every individual, no exceptions, no qualifiers, no exclusions, every individual, every person is an image bearer of the living God. According to God, they're not only precious, but they're worthy. Worthy of what? What's the value of every human life? 
the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're going to consider this when we come back in a conversation about 1 John chapter 4. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, do you know what the law says in your city, your state, or the conversation under consideration in Congress known as the Equality Act? Again, to be clear, every individual, no exceptions, no qualifiers, no exclusions, every person is an image bearer of the living God. And according to God, not only precious, but worthy, worthy of the very life of his son, our Savior Jesus Christ, whose advent we are now preparing to celebrate. So, if you want to know what Christmas is about, Christmas is about the value that God places on people, every person, of every tribe and tongue, of every nation under heaven, of every variety. First John chapter 4, I think, is worthy of consideration in this conversation today. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is the incarnation, this is Christmas, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, um, which you have heard is coming and even now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, speaking there of the Holy Spirit, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So there's this a spiritual contest, by the way, going on here. There's a spirit that's in the world um, that is contrary to God, that denies Christ, that denies the incarnation. Um, and then there is the spirit that is alive in the people of God, the people who have received Jesus for who he is and accepted uh, the good gift of God's offer of gracious salvation in Jesus, and and into them comes the Holy Spirit. Into us comes the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, knows when the spirit of the world is operating. You can feel it. You can feel it. The Holy Spirit within you will be like, like, you can feel it. All right. Verse 5. Again, I'm in 1 John 4. They are from the world and therefore speak of the viewpoint of the world. So this is a worldview conversation. And the world listens to them. So the spirit of the world speaking through people who have not turned to Christ, therefore their worldview is is operating out of the spirit of the world and the world listens to them. Okay. To the contrary, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Okay, this should not surprise us, by the way. I think that's part of what John's trying to get to here. Shouldn't be surprised when people who are operating out of the spirit of the world don't listen to those of us operating out of the spirit of God. The end of verse 6 then says, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So this, this, my friends, is spiritual discernment. Then comes the most famous part of 1 John chapter 4 the part that most people just skip ahead to. And this is the part about love. And this is a really important part because it talks about God's love for us 
and then, therefore, our love for one another and others beyond us. So, dear friends, picking up at verse 7, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Go back and read uh, John chapter 4 if you want to know about being born again, because that's that's where that uh, being born of God uh, is talked about. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You say, well, what kind of love is God? I mean, God is love. What does that mean? Okay, well, the Bible has a lot to say about that as well. The Apostle Paul writes a whole chapter about it in his correspondence with the church in Corinth. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. You want to know what Christmas is all about? It's about the love of God and the value he places on human beings, made in his, his image, confused by the spirit of the world, in order that we might be saved, redeemed, reconciled to him. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 4, by the way. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So I'm going to encourage you to... um, continue reading 1 John chapter 4, but I do want to turn back ever so briefly to uh, John chapter 3. I think I said John chapter 4 earlier, and I meant John chapter 3, because this is the conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus. And this helps us um, bring into view the conversation that, uh, that we're having in the world about what Christmas is all about, who Jesus really is, and what he came to do. All right. Uh, And it opens here. I'm going to start with verse 16, John 3, 16, which you're going to be very, very familiar with. But we're going to read through verse 21, which my guess is people are less familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Uh, God misses nothing, my friends. There is no one right now unaccounted for by God. God sees you, and God loves you. God knows what you have done, and he sent Jesus to take care of it. He sent Jesus to take care of you. Christmas is about the good gift of God through the incarnation of his Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, who died that we might live. And everyone who comes to him will be saved. 
everyone who comes to him, who believes that Jesus is who he says he is and has done what only God could do, the saving work upon the cross will be saved. That's the truth of the matter. And we're going to keep saying it, even if they criminalize it. We'll be right back. share a prayer concern with you today. Uh, My friend Shelly lives in Dallas, Texas. She works for Josh McDowell. Um, About dinner time last night, I got a text message with a a group of women um, who we support one another in ministry across the country. Um, It was a screenshot of Shelly's husband's Facebook post from about an hour earlier, and his post was a picture of an EVAC helicopter. And on the gurney, lay their 17-year-old daughter, Emily, unresponsive. Um, At 6.16 this morning, uh, I got a text, 6.15 this morning, I got a a text. We've been praying with Shelly and her family all night. Um, Emily has still not moved um, since we came in. Desperately need to see brain waves. Um, We need a miracle, but we know the, the maker of miracles. Thank you for your prayers. I know from a scientific clinical worldview that there is someone seeking to have a very difficult conversation right now with uh, Shelly and her husband, Ed, about their child, Emily. Um, I know that we are praying for a miracle I also know and recognize there are other families who have been praying for donor organs. And this is the moment of conflicted prayer, is it not? So on this Giving Tuesday, consider um, what God has given for each one of us. Consider the prayers being raised to God on behalf of children and their families. Pray for my friend Shelley. And let us pray that the gospel continues to go forth because it is ultimately our only hope. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.